Hello, and welcome back to Inno and JB Sports Pedigree. We're here to provide some insight, as usual, on a wide variety of sports topics. I mean, I'm really excited for today's show. We got some new Me segments too. here. Absolutely. We got uh, we got some old ones that we're revisiting. I mean, it's just a great time of year. We got the holidays going on. We got hoops and NFL and you know college football coming to the playoff time. I mean, man. think about so, it. It's a rare time when we got college is. football, college basketball, NBA, and the NFL season all going on at one time. Hey, shout out to the NHL as well, still going on. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and World Cup qualifying. And it's, yes, uh, sir. UEFA Champions League. Come on now. We got it all. Yes, sir. So, yeah, I'm excited. Let's uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's dig right in. I'm JB. And I'm N.O. Uh, let's start it off. Let's dig into some worst calls of all time. Or calls that we just recognize as just being extremely egregious calls. Uh, mm-hmm. Where you look back and you say, how could the refs do that? How could right. they get together and... <laughs> make that call so without further ado i'm gonna let you start off with one all right so the first one i want to talk about we're going back to june 2nd 2010 we got a major league baseball game we got pitcher armando galarraga one out from the first perfect game ever in detroit detroit tigers history that's a long history so easy ground ball Hit to the right side of the infield. Galarraga comes over to cover first. Catches the ball, tags the bag. A full step in front of the runner. Like a full step. And guess what? <laughs> Jim Joyce, the umpire, calls him safe. And this is prior to instant replay in baseball or, you know, challenges that we have now. So nothing you could do. And, I mean, I remember watching this on Center. I had heard throughout the night um, – <laughs> going on that oh wow you know there's a perfect game in the works and man they they showed like the fans and just the, the face of the players and and i honestly at, at at the end of all of it i feel bad for jim joyce because he of course got to see it himself after the game and felt horrible actually admitted you know which you don't see a lot from refs and umps admitted to blowing the call so you just cost this guy a perfect game because the next batter um ruined it so that's a, that's for me that's a that's a tough one and that's horrible for that player for that team and for that ref to be honest the umpire to be honest mm-hmm. that's horrendous yep what do you got well we're gonna start off with duke versus kentucky elite eight game from 1992 at the spectrum Ooh. this is this is the famous game where christian leitner mm-hmm. hit the buzzer beating shot after the full court pass at the very end of the game Tearing the hearts a part of Kentucky fans. Yep. However, something did occur in that game. Christian Leitner earlier in the game stomped on a player's chest. Oh, he sure did. Was it Rex Chapman? It was not. It was Aminu Timberlake. Okay. Christian Leitner stomped on Aminu Timberlake's chest, a Kentucky player, and he received a technical foul for it. Now... Let's go back to some other scenarios where a similar situation happened and the punishment that was received. Kevin Love stomped on Luis Gola's chest in 2012 and he got suspended for two games without pay. A couple years ago, my Boilermakers, Sasa Stefanovic's chest was stomped on by an Illinois fighting Illini player, Alan Griffin, and he got ejected. Many, many fans on both sides of the equation 
feel like if the refs handled it properly, the Sean Woods teardrop at the 2.9 mark by Kentucky would have been the game winner. Or you could look beyond that and say it may have even been a moot point because the likes of Jamal Mashburn, Feldhouse and Company, Angelo Martin, Gennaro Martinez. There's probably multiple possessions previously that would have allowed Kentucky to build a big lead because Christian Leitner would have been gone from that game. Yep. And it might not even been that close going down the stretch. <clears throat> yep. Terrible, terrible call. Only giving him a technical foul in that situation and not ejecting him, which is what happens in 99.9% of those situations. Terrible call. Yep, egregious. Almost seems like maybe he was privileged. Weird. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go ahead. We're going to go to the NFL here. Let's do I it. I mean, you think about it. You know, that dude, he was like player of the year that year, right? So you take Absolutely. him off the court. Yeah, totally different game. All right. How about how about the 2019 NFC title game? I think everybody knows where I'm going with this one. You got uh, the Saints um, into the game. This is the the famed no call on the pass interference um, where Roby Coleman um, just – literally tackles Tommy Lee Lewis uh, admitted in an interview after the game oh yeah I knocked the crap out of him that was pass interference yep. <laughs> just oblivion right in front of the ref you know no call now here's the thing it's an obvious no call it's in such a huge spot in such a huge game that um, you know obviously the Rams end up going to the Super Bowl and losing the thing is, the Saints, it didn't necessarily cost them the game. I think in their minds it did because it changed their mentality the rest of the game. They got a field goal out of that drive, um, but they just fell flat afterwards. It almost They allowed that call to take all the wind out of their sails. However, one of the worst no calls I've ever seen. I, could, I can't believe that, especially being right in front of the ref. I mean, it wasn't like there was a... He, he had a bad vantage or was out of position, which, again, that's on him if he was. I mean, this is right in front of his face. And it's such a bad call that um, they instituted where you can actually review pass interference calls in the NFL. Wow. You know the craziest thing about that call is every time I, I watched that play thereafter, um, I saw it from a weird angle mm -hmm. where if you would have turned and seen the direct side view, See, when the ball got there versus when the hit happened, I don't know for sure that it was pass interference. Now, hmm. hearing it from the player, obviously yeah. the credibility changes because he's <laughs> right. not going to say it if he didn't pass interfere. But I always saw that replay from a weird angle. So I just hmm. wanted to put that out there. Um, but I'll trust that player. if He he knows if he passed interfere or not. <laughs> yep, old Roby Coleman. Oh, I knew when I passed interfere back in my day, too. I'm and sure. I did. I did. All righty. Here's my number two. The 2007 MLB postseason playing game between the Rockies and Padres. I don't know if you remember this game, JB, but okay. here's the scenario. Matt Holliday was coming home on a sack fly for the Rockies to tie the game. Well, my bad. Let's go back for a sec. Matt Holliday okay. was coming home on a sack fly of a tie game. He played for the Rockies. Okay. Game was tied. And as the ball was approaching, the catcher, rightfully so back in those days, was blocking the plate. Mm -hmm. So... As Holiday is trying to dive and get touch the plate, he squeezed his left hand in to touch the corner of the plate. However, all he got was cleat. All he got mm. was the cleat of that catcher who was blocking the plate and a face full of dirt. <laughs> yep. 
the catcher actually dropped the ball, right? So he trotted over a few feet to retrieve the ball and he tagged Holiday. However, by this time, the ump had called the runner safe and the Rockies won. And I'm pretty sure this was pre-review days. So oh, yeah. there was no way of going back and checking it out. Rockies won, Padres lost, player never touched the plate. You don't believe me? Mm. Go look it up on YouTube. That's bad. That was a bad, bad one. It was. And again, you know, I, I, I feel like errors, of course, are, are part of the game, you know, but and game, it's like, that's why we have the technology we do. If you can get the call right, then get it right. Absolutely. Know? And what it made it so, what made it worse is that he's standing right there about four feet away with a directly perfect angle. Now the dirt yeah. may have been flying up and may have disrupted him from seeing it distracted him a little bit but he had the angle he's standing right there mm. i believe you got to get that call right yep um, you can't miss that you gotta get paid long. get paid a lot all right so uh you know you know who phil luckett is who's phil luckett jb <laughs> phil luckett's a referee in the nfl okay and i was looking at lists of some bad calls to my astonishment this one is not rated number one on any of them i'm not really sure how it isn't we're going to go back to 1998, Thanksgiving Day game. We got the Steelers and Lions. What it's happened? a good game. It's a good game. So we're going into overtime. And, you know, at the beginning of overtime, now this is this is different overtime rules than we have now. This is sudden death overtime um, is how it used to be in the NFL, right? Absolutely. And so that coin toss is crucial, right? right. If you get the ball first and you go down and kick a field goal, you win. So Steelers are the away team. And Jerome Bettis, if you remember the bus um, captain, and, and clearly calls tails for the coin toss. In fact, it was microphone because it's a national TV game. You can hear him call tails throughout the stadium. Well, the coin lands tails, and referee Phil Luckett said that he said heads and gives the Lions the ball. Now, JB, <laughs> I do got to ask you this. You're sure he wasn't on some... Head, head tails type of type of deal I, right I, there. I don't think so. I mean, okay. I've heard it plenty of times. <laughs> okay, okay. What? Well, Steelers never saw the ball. <laughs> never saw the ball. It's over. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. Now you go back a, and listen to it. You know, maybe maybe <laughs> maybe I'm hearing things, but there's an awful lot of folks there that heard tails. So maybe they got some upgraded audio, so we can go back and check it out. <laughs> maybe. 2021 audio. Okay, here's my here's my third. Worst call of all time. Okay. Obviously, we're going to stay with the NFL. We're actually going to stay with the Detroit Lions. Opening day huh. of the NFL season. It's the time when everybody has hope, right? Everybody can look at their opening day slate and say, my team hasn't lost yet. Regardless of how good you know your team is from previous year, my team hasn't lost yet. Well, yeah, we got a chance. Can, <laughs> we got a chance. It can go south really fast. Yep. Megatron, Calvin Johnson, the opening day of the 2010 NFL season, Lions are playing the Bears. Late in the game with the Lions down 19 to 14, backup QB was in for Detroit. He threw a pass into the end zone, a nice pass, nice dart to Megatron. Megatron caught the ball, was falling as he caught the ball, and as he was getting up, he pushed off the ground with his hand and the ball in his other hand and dropped it as he was getting up off the ground. No biggie, right? Right. Big deal, actually. <laughs> the, refs caught, <laughs> the refs caught it incomplete. Uh, the rule actually stated 
Here's the rule. A player must maintain possession throughout the entire process. Well, anybody who had common sense could see that the process was over because he was getting up, but they still right. managed to call it incomplete for some reason. And it went to review and they upheld it after the mm, review. Right. This That's is what, what like, like what is a catch, <laughs> right? Exactly. What is a catch? The man was getting up off the ground, lost the ball. It wasn't like, it wasn't like he lost it hitting the ground. He lost it when he was getting up and it happened pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of gray area in the rule, obviously, uh, very subjective to the refs, obviously. And yes, and that's why they called it incomplete. Mm, yeah, that was like a brutal, brutal call. I remember um, it was. for that team. And, you know, we still even to this day, we see sometimes where they, uh, you know, is it a fumble or a catch? You know, we see that a couple times a week, typically, where Absolutely. there's still uncertainty. So I'm sh- there's obviously we. We left some calls out. There's plenty that we could have discussed, and there'll probably Absolutely. be plenty more in the future. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's segue that into some NBA talks. What we got for the NBA, Ooh. JB? All right. So we have actually, on previous shows, if you haven't listened, go up, go back and check. Uh, we've gone through top five rankings for positional players. We did point guards first. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did centers. Today, we are going to do top five NBA shooting guards of all time. Um, pretty excited. Uh, maybe a bit controversial. I think every week we, we get into a little bit of controversy. And uh, again, we, we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, so I'm going to let N.O. start this week since I went uh, first on the last last time. Absolutely. So when we talk about NBA shooting guards, you know, you got shooting guards, you got wing players, you got small fours, which are somewhat interchangeable when you think mm-hmm. of a point guard bringing it up, a shooting guard and a small forward playing on the wing. So let me sort of define what my definition, we'll say our definition, the NONJB definition of what a shooting guard is. Yeah. To kind of give you to kind of give you a baseline for this. Shooting guards main objective is to score. Period. For the purposes of this list, it's important to make that distinction because the difference in a combo guard, a wing, and a small forward is they're all very comparable. However, as it pertains to the primary role being to score at all three levels, this is how we're going to define shooting guards. That being said, I'm going to give you my list counting down from five. Let's change it up this time. Let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and go through my entire list. Oh, okay. You can go through your entire list. I'm not going to like it. Not going to speak too long on any of these guys, but I'm going to go down my list. Okay. Sounds good. Number five, Clay Thompson. Mm. Okay. Clay Thompson's my number five shooting guard of all time. And I'm going to put a little asterisk next to Clay Thompson's name. And here's what the asterisk is coming from. He's a sidekick player. And normally, go back to my previous top five lists. Not going to be many sidekicks in my top five list. However, I had to make an exception for Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, because sidekicks are generally not closer alpha types, right? However, in Clay's situation, it's by circumstance. Hmm. Clay had a 37 point quarter. A 14 three-pointer game 
the three-time NBA champion against my Indiana Pacers a few years back. He scored 60 points in 29 minutes. Mm. He may be the best shooter to ever walk the planet. Potentially. I don't know if I can put him above Steph, but he's close. Potentially. He's, he's up there, though. <laughs> and, you know, one thing he does have on Steph, which makes him incredible, He's one of the top perimeter defenders in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He's yes, quite, he quite comfortable guarding the opposing <laughs> team's best perimeter player, which he is. Which is what made the Warriors so unbeatable when they had Clay and KD. And I mean, think of that, about that defensively, and then they had Steph. Yep. Goodness gracious! Yep. So, and I'm I'm glad you said that too because I was just going to add that as a bit of a caveat to what you said about defining the position because you got to be able to you got to be able to play both ends. Absolutely. You got to be able to play both ends. And Clay definitely does that, which is why he's number five on my list top shooting guards of all times. Okay. Uh, my number four player is, I'm going to speed it up a little bit on four through one. My number four shooting guard of all time is Reggie Miller. Hmm. Reggie Miller carried the Pacers franchise throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s. Rarely playing with any all star teammates, the Pacers or contenders many times in the East. When you think about 1994, when the Pacers were one game away from the NBA Finals, when you think about 1995, they played the Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. 1998, they took the Bulls to seven games. 1999, lost in the Eastern Conference Finals. Finally made the NBA Finals in 2000. Reggie Miller carried the franchise. Reggie Miller is what I consider an ultimate alpha player. He took pretty much all the big shots for the Indiana Pacers in these days. They were a tough rugged team a good point guard playing mark jackson has some good physical big men but reggie miller was the go-to guy um want to think some of the clutchest players in nba history you got to add reggie miller to that list now let's go three through one really quickly quite honestly these players after number three two and one could be interchangeable but let's go number three i got Dwayne wade Mm. Dwayne Wade's my number three shooting guard of all time. Dwayne Wade, when you think about the first championship that he won down in Miami, without the likes of LeBron James, without the likes of Chris Bosh, had an older Shaquille O'Neal, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. However, Dwayne Wade, what he did during that NBA season was just flat out incredible. Then you bring Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Bosh. Think about it. Dwayne Wade didn't follow LeBron anywhere. Dwayne Wade mm-hmm. didn't follow Chris Bosh. These guys joined Dwayne Wade in Miami. Dwayne Wade, obviously, the Miami Heat did what they did when they had that trio, close to other good players as well. But Dwayne Wade, what he does on both ends of the court at 6'4", uh, being able to defend the positions that he could defend. He was guarding the post. He was guarding on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a closer many times. Dwayne Wade is my number three shooting guard of all time. Okay? Okay. Number two and number one, obviously, is Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. I got Kobe, got Kobe at number two, got Michael at number one. And I'm going to make my only distinction. A lot of people might say it's 1A and 1B. I'm going to say Kobe's two and Mike's number one, but only for one reason. One reason. What's, the, what's that? Stats very comparable. Both of them top level offensively. They scored all three levels. 
although Kobe was a little bit better three-point shooter than Michael Jordan. Both of them incredible defenders on the ball. Both of them finished above the rim, regardless of who you were. But I got to put Mike number one because Mike really never played with any dominant big men. Never played with a, he never played with a dominant big man on the inside. Now you could, you know, you could say, well, you know, Kobe, Kobe didn't really have any other incredible perimeter players. Well, I think when you when you talk about a guard type, and then you have a player down low who the team can throw it into, it just makes it so much easier for that guard, right? So it was a little bit easier for Kobe, obviously playing with Shaq throughout his first few championship years, and then he had Pau Gasol down low later on. Um, and Andrew Bynum, for that matter. But think about who Mike played with. We're talking Luke Longley. No oh, disrespect yeah. to Luke Longley, but Bill Cartwright. Come on now. We're, we're talking Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright had some good years. Bill Winnington. Bill Winnington now, had a nice mid-range jump shot. You know, he did have Horace Grant, Dennis Rodman, but those guys weren't your, you know, quote-unquote typical post-scoring. Absolutely. Defense. I'm yeah. I'm talking to yeah, right. I'm I'm talking about an offensive player down low who was dominant mm-hmm. offensively uh mike yep. never played with that and that's why mike's number one on my list what you got right. jb so i want to preface a couple things number one um i'm i'm pretty surprised actually at your five and four okay. um i am i'm also wondering if you like been in my head a little bit too before i get into it secondly i did want to note um some of you may be curious a couple people that I'm going to just throw out here and give a little love to because they're not on either of our lists Clyde Drexler um, didn't make my list but he was considered uh, for sure Um, he did have five first team all NBAs but you know when he when you stack him up against some of these other guys that we're talking about and you just look at the comparison and the eye test he's just not at that level Um, also for me the big O uh, prior to doing this, I actually always considered him a shooting guard, but um, we actually had him on our point guard list, if Absolutely. Um, curious of that. So yeah. my number five, just like N.O., is Clay Thompson. Yeah. Um, and for no other reason that not only has he made, I said maybe, maybe the best shooter ever, um, he's also had, considering his all-time where he's at on three-point shooting, um, he's also missed two full seasons with injury and still has time to go. So there's no telling what he could end up at when it's all said and done. And the fact that he's maybe, I mean, as you mentioned, the best perimeter defender. He, he's on a short list of that, the best in the league, um, as well as his scoring. So number four, honestly, I, I don't know. May, I'm not sure if maybe you just forgot about him, but uh, the man that's the logo um, Jerry West. Now, I'm sure you're going to say he played with some greats and maybe his finals record wasn't the best, but the man averaged 27 points a game, six boards, and 6.7 assists. In an era, I get it, where maybe there weren't as many talented players that he was going against, but 12 first-team All-NBAs. Um, you think about there wasn't a three-point shot back then. Um, 2.6 steals a game as well. So, for me, honestly, if he had been a bit more, if he'd had a uh, a little better record and more in the finals, I may have had him even higher. But uh, Jerry West is my number four. Um, some consider him a point guard too. So, you know that that could be part of it. Um, our top three is identical. Um, various reasons that you said. Uh, D Wade career average twenty two five and five. He has the most blocks of all time for anybody at six four and under. Just goes to show his versatility defensively. Eight first-team All-NBAs. Um, 
and three-time all-second team defense. Uh, Kobe just rounded out at number two, finished 25-5-5 and roughly for his career. He's fourth all-time in scoring, 11-time first-team All-NBA, and nine-time first-team All-Defense. Uh, two MVPs, only one regular season MVP. And I feel like some of these guys, when we talk about the regular season NBA MVPs, it's almost like some of them don't get it as often because they feel like they sh- the voters feel like they you know, could have gotten it every year, so they just don't vote for him. Um, and then MJ, uh, as mentioned in a, a previous athlete comparison, it, he averaged 30 a game for his career, um, six and five, six titles, six finals MVPs, five regular season MVPs, 10 first-team All-NBAs, nine first-team All-Defense, third all-time in steals, um, and he's fifth all-time in scoring with uh, I want to say four or five less years played than Kobe. So, again, it's not always all about the scoring for this uh, particular position. Um, it's a big part of it. And, uh, you know, that's what we got. No doubt, no doubt. For the record, I didn't forget about Jerry West, but you know me, okay. I'm big. I'm big on eras played. Right. And that's why I chose the players I chose over the, the 1960s. You know, great I'm- accomplishments, no doubt, by Jerry West. And I'm he not hating on I'm not hating on you for going Absolutely. with Reggie. Absolutely, <laughs> I think Jerry West made like 13 or 14 All Star teams. Oh he yeah, has, he has the one championship. But okay, put Jerry West in the 90s, 2000s era. Let's see how he ball. You know, but I ain't gonna say nothing about fair. that right now. That's fair. That's fair. All right, <laughs> what do you got this week for personal segment? You want to go first? You want me to? I'll go first in the personal segment. All right. My personal segment today is this. Push your kids to play multiple sports growing up, parents. Mm. Let me repeat that. Push your children to play multiple sports growing up. They will develop different muscle groups, movement styles, open up more opportunities. Mm. The burnout on one sport will be minimized. And the skills that they learn in one sport movements that can be applied to the other sports one thing that when we coaches like myself emphasize players playing multiple sports one thing that's not really talked about enough in my opinion is they're exposed to different coaching styles so they're inherently and naturally going to learn a lot more just because they're going to be coached by different type of coaches different type of personalities also there will be different kids they're forced to gel with which obviously is important because you're going to grow up. You're going to work with a lot of different type of personalities, right? And you have to learn how to deal with these type of personalities. You have to learn how to engage with them, figure out how, you know, you can stop get outside of your natural negative traits, what some people would call toxic traits. And the earlier you learn that as a kid playing multiple sports and, and you know, being involved in whatever you extracurricular activities you're involved in, the better it'll be for you as you start growing up and you have to deal with it a lot more than, you know, when you, as a kid, you're in your controlled environment in school, right? You go home, you're in activities, but as an adult, branch out, you do a lot more things. Put your kids in multiple sports growing up. Yep. All right. It I will benefit. More. Yeah. 
and helps them be well-rounded. Who knows if they, they might like a sport, but they never tried it. How, do, how are they going to know, right? That yeah. too, of course. That's good. That's good. All right, so uh, I love that. For my personal segment, I'm going to revisit uh, something we did previously where we did a little where in the world is. But for the sake of this, I just want to give a little love to one of my favorite players of all time from the Cincinnati Reds, Mr. Eric Davis. Uh, hey. Eric the Red, as some might know him. Um, and talk about a little bit about what he did as a Red and his accomplishments, but um, what he's doing now. So just to recap, if you didn't watch baseball, 80s, 90s, mainly in the 90s, Eric Davis was a premier talent. Um, one of the, I mean, epitome of a five-tool player. Uh, he finished, he did have a lot of injuries, which really held him back. Uh, he had three gold gloves, two silver sluggers. He is a Reds Hall of Famer, but very rare combo of speed and power and um, his arm, so he, he member of the 30-30 club, also 30-50 one year, which for those of you who don't know, 30 wow. home runs and 50 steals in the same season. <laughs> Goodness gracious. And That's here's incredible. the thing, and I know I'm sure you could do this with a lot of players, but this really stuck out to me. If you take, there was a 162-game span, which is the, the normal span of a regular baseball season, from June 11th, 1986 to July 4th, 1987. So, Eric Davis, in that time frame, he batted 308 with 47 homers, 123 RBIs, 149 runs scored, and 98 steals. Goodness gracious. Incredible, right? You, Plus, he had a rocket nine, arm. Did you 98, say 98? 98 steals. Goodness. He could fly. Wow. He averaged 29-11 as a senior in high school. Actually wanted to play in the NBA till he got drafted. Uh, so, again, to your point, playing multiple sports. Um so he actually had colon cancer um, in the mid-90s, battled back from that, came back and actually won Comeback Player of the Year. And I was actually, I had the thrill of being at uh, the ballpark when he was with the San Francisco Giants for his last visit, kind of his farewell tour when he was retiring. And uh, some friends and I, you know, painted Davis on our chest and whatever, being silly. But it was great. Um, so love the guy. He wrote an autobi autobiography called Born to Play, which is a good read if, um, if you want something uh, fun to read. It's not too long. Um, I've read it. Definitely cool. He, after that, uh, he was a hitting instructor in Verno Beach, Florida. Worked to promote African-American youth participation in the game down there. And uh, most recently, he's now minor league director of performance uh, for the Reds, where he helps develop youth players and um, kind of show them the things that he went through as a player and, and get them to the big leagues. That's so pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Great stuff, JB. Great stuff. Love me some Eric Davis. What, what we got on the slate next? JB, it's time for Sports Dichotomy, bringing it oh, back. Oh, man, bringing it back. One of my favorites. Absolutely. Go ahead and explain to him what Sports Dichotomy is, JB. <laughs> All right, so pretty straightforward. Uh, we're going to ask each other back and forth yes and no questions. That's all you're going to get as an answer, yes or no. Um, we're going to have some fun um, asking some just random sports uh, topic questions and uh, who knows maybe one day down the road we revisit more in depth some of these but for now it's just sports dichotomy yes or no that's right absolutely <laughs> let's go all right who, who's starting go first how many you got jb i got 12 how many you got all righty i'm right around that number so let's okay. do it all right tampa bay buccaneers will win the nfc this year and play again in the super bowl no 
when Nutso went off the roof at the beginning of Above the Rim? Was that the worst? <laughs> hold up, listen, listen, JB. Was that right. the worst placed basketball court in mankind's history? <laughs> yes, yes. Tommy Shepard from Above the Rim, the player, could beat James Harden one on one in a game of basketball. Absolutely, and just, just, just so y'all, just for y'all. <laughs> knowledge we did not come up with that we did not talk about having those above the rim questions no we did it all (laughs) righty question number two can cincy beat alabama in football yes oh could rocky balboa stand toe-to-toe with mike tyson in the ring no no chance all right was t.o better overall than megatron no Man, I'm still laughing about the above the rim because we did not plan. <laughs> I, we did not plan that at all. No way, no way. Uh, was Lionel is Lionel Messi the greatest soccer player ever? No, Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. Could Kobe beat MJ in a one-on-one game? No. Uh, pitchers ERA and WHIP are more important than wins. Absolutely. Were the 2000 Canes the best college football team ever? Yes. Mm. Barry Larkin should be the next Reds manager. Yes. Should Timmy Weah remain a starter on the U.S. men's national team for the duration of World Cup qualifying? Yes. The Cincinnati Bengals uniforms are better than the Indianapolis Colts uniforms. <laughs> oh man, no! I like I love I love the Warriors going uh, white. Okay, is the Iron Bowl, Bama versus Auburn? For those of y'all that don't know, a bigger college football rivalry than Ohio State Michigan? No, I knew you were gonna ask that. No, absolutely not. Uh, UCLA Bruins college basketball team is heavily overrated this year. Yes. Would you consider a cheerleader? Now, hold on. Let me preface this one. Like you might get some people mad at you with your answer, so answer, answer. Uh, okay. Take your time. Would you consider a cheerleader to be a top-notch athlete? Oh uh, well, yeah. I mean, it. <laughs> I can't. I guess I can't give explanation. I'll just say <laughs> yes. I'll say yes. I'll All say right. yes. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs will win the national title this year in college football no Hmm. when hockey teams shake hands at the end of a physical series is this the best example of sportsmanship in sports Hmm. yeah milwaukee bucks will make it back to the finals to contend for back-to-back titles yes was Greg Maddox better than the big unit Randy Johnson? Gosh. No. Yeah. Indianapolis Colts will make the playoffs this year. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't sound very confident. <laughs> oh, if Isaiah Stewart would have gotten to LeBron, would he have swung? Yes. Hmm. All right. My my last one, No can dunk. Yes. <laughs> got a two hand bang out in Cordova, Alaska, a couple years ago. One of my oh. basketball players actually got it on tape. Nice. Alrighty. 
that was that was my actually my last question jp oh, what we got good. next that's good all right <laughs> so we have i love that segment so we have um rolling out a new one this week called the all goon squad okay so we are taking a look at the these dudes that just um you know guys that would rough you up guys that as you mentioned uh lebron isaiah Stewart, stewart just guys that you know, they would throw hands. They would do whatever it took uh, to either get in the other team's head, to be an enforcer, um, what have you. I'm sure you, a few people probably come to mind um, as soon as I said that. So uh, do you have anything to add as far as the explanation there? Well, when we talk about a goon slash enforcer, these are players who will undoubtedly respond to dirty opposition play by providing excessive physical contact fighting it doesn't matter they're going to handle the situation for their team regardless of the situation furthermore a goon can be the player who initiates this activity right and most importantly they can't be some scrub off the bench no no not calling random guys who come in and do a dirty play a goon goons are smart they're tactical they're beneficial to the team and most winning teams have a goon these are players who command fear over respect Mm. let me repeat that one these are players who command fear of them over respect so Mm. this is what a goon is in in nonjb's dictionary Mm -hmm. jb what you got I mean, the first thing, the first player that I think of, and I think a lot of people will think of when you say that word and give that definition, none other than Bill Lambeer. Bill Lambeer. The leader of the Nasty Boys back in the 80s, 90s for the Detroit Pistons. Some Bad say, boys. <laughs> some say the dirtiest player in NBA history. Um, in fact, had a nickname at one point, the Prince of Darkness. Um, not only just physical but you know trash talk everybody hated this guy um i mean he would just punish people and you come to the you come to the rim you're going to end up on your back um you know protected isaiah as well and uh just kind of created that whole mentality for that team right absolutely bill limbeer he did. He created the whole mentality. You know, he had his couple sidekicks. I guess you could call mm-hmm. John Sally one of his sidekicks. But his yeah. number one sidekick was Ricky Mahorn. Yeah. And Bill, Lam- Bill Lambeer, you know, he was going to do anything for his team uh, to put help put his team in position to win the game, regardless of he what was. it was. He didn't care who disliked him. And absolutely, number one goon. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of people don't realize that he averaged nearly a double-double for his career. He led the league in rebounding one year at 13 a game at 6'11", and he could shoot He could shoot the three back in the day. He could. People don't realize that he was not just a goon, again, but probably the number one goon there has ever been, potentially. No doubt, no doubt. Well, let me, let me throw one in there, JB. Okay. Obviously, if we're sticking with the NBA and you grew up in the era that we grew up in you have to have dennis robin on your list. and yeah. dennis robin's on the list for <laughs> so many different reasons like dennis yeah. robin was a guy who was an incredible incredible defensive player and rebounder and he was an undersized player too right dennis robin was extremely undersized not the most skilled player when you talk about offensive scoring prowess but Dennis Rodman would do anything to win. So, you yeah. know, he was an outgoing uh, 
blue collar basketball player who was known for many things, such as being fifth on the all-time technicals list. Mm. He head-butted a referee before. Remember, he got knocked down on the baseline and he kicked that camera guy in the <laughs> yeah. groin area. Dude, dude, I, I feel, I'm pretty sure dude got paid after that oh, situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dennis, These are things Dennis Rodman did, but the most important thing that Dennis Rodman did on a game-to-game basis was what I alluded to previously. He commanded fear from mm. other opponents. He commanded that in every aspect of the game he was an extremely smart player oh yeah in terms of manipulation yeah he's going to do whatever it takes to get in the best player's head and what made dennis robin so good was that he was not affected emotionally too much now at times you would see dennis robin get amped up right Mm -hmm. but when he saw that he could get to you when he saw that he was bothering you this was comedy for Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was going to play on that until the end of that game. The next time he played you, he was going to bother you again. Um, and he was always coming after the top players on, on teams. You know, when yeah. you think back uh, <laughs> the bounce with Alonzo Mourning. Oh, the drama he had with Shaq on so many occasions. Oh yeah. The 96 NBA Finals with Frank Brikowski of the Seattle Supersonics. There's just so many situations where we can say where we can look back and we can see that Dennis Rodman was just all over the place trying to bother people. But he was so good at his job of guarding the best post player. He could also guard the best perimeter player on the opposing team. And then he would have a stat line like six points and 24 rebounds. Dennis Dennis Rodman, listen, me as a basketball coach, I want a Dennis Rodman on my team. Now, let 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 me put a little asterisk next to it. The extra activity and bothering, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a player who will do anything, who will take charges, who will guard any player on the floor, who will rebound. I need a Dennis Rodman on my basketball team. Yep, you could go without the off the off the court stuff, probably. Absolutely, right? the Carmen yeah. Electra, the, I think that was the just going part to Vegas. It. Yeah. it was, it was, it was just a part of him. The going to Vegas in the middle of the season, I think that yeah. 1998 NBA season, and something that a lot of people don't even realize, he is very close with the North Korean Prime Minister, Kim Jong-un. Yes, he is. That's so strange. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, what Whoa. an interesting character. But he was, I mean, he was a bit of an athletic freak. Could jump he was. Out of the gym, man. And his his philosophy, if you ever, you want to know how to rebound and uh, positioning and all that stuff. I mean, just a brilliant mind for it. And I think part of what he did too and i think he learned from bill lambeer you know because he started out on those pistons teams when he was young but you know he also took focus off of jordan and pippen on those teams he was on and and everybody focused on him (laughs) and his dirtiness so we're gonna switch at sports here real quick gotta give love we don't talk about it that much um gotta get a little love to the hockey fans and one marty mcsorley um those of you that the, the watch hockey, you immediately know who this guy is. Um, he played a lot with Gretzky. He was kind of the enforcer type uh, for Gretzky, as Lambeer was for Isaiah. Um, you know, and, and just a, a stat that jumped out to me in his career, over 3,300 3, penalty minutes for Marty McSorry. This is a guy that, as we've mentioned, would do anything and everything to deter the other team from coming anywhere near his players or his goal um same guy that 
took a stick and beat it over another guy's head, nearly killed him in a game. I mean, this guy was a bit of a lunatic, to be honest with you. But again, um, we call that give a loose little, cannon. A little bit, little bit. <laughs> um, we we got a couple more on the list here. Uh, I know, I know, we can't forget about the football players, and there's many, uh, many of these guys to go around too, right? We got JB. <laughs> we got so, on the list. First off, I want to touch on um, former Bengal Vontez Perfect. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, this guy. Um, Didn't Vontez of, essentially get kicked out of the NFL for all per, his dirty hits? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And coming out of college, he had a a bad rap. Um, Didn't he actually wasn't drafted? I think he was a. Uh, um, a free agent out of college because of a lot of the, the stuff that he had done in college. And you know um, what, JB? You know what? Uh-huh. And that's probably another reason he had a chip on his shoulder. Probably. <laughs> he had multiple suspensions, uh, 11 total fines for unnecessary roughness hits. Over, I want to say three years was really the, ma- at least the, from my recollection, maybe for the vast majority of those. A lot of folks probably remember the forearm to the dome of Antonio Brown in that playoff game that... Yeah. Oh, I really don't want to talk about that much more. But uh, his eleven fines totaled four hundred sixty-one thousand dollars. I mean, there's people that won't make that in their lifetime, and he he had fines. Money he could have invested. Actually, actually, one of his last ones. It might actually have been his last uh, suspension. Pretty sure it was against my Colts. I think he crushed Jack Doyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was thinking. Oh, Doyle rules. But yeah. Last one, last one on our list and probably I don't know it's I guess it's really unfair maybe and maybe hard for me to say this but Bill Romanowski probably my least favorite on the list just guy was nasty just not I don't know I don't want to judge folks but never saw a thing that I liked about him that he said or did played mainly with the Broncos and Raiders and this guy would fight teammates like Tore off his own teammate's helmet, punched him in the face, and broke his eye socket in practice. Like, broke another guy's jaw, you know, just spitting on guys and, it, of course, running his mouth. And he would legitimately try to hurt people, you know. Awesome. we all, And it's like, we know football is a physical sport, right? And, and you want to, I mean, you played, you know how it is. But you, in the end of the day, you don't want to hurt other people, right? That's right. That's right. Of course. Of course not. But he did. <laughs> Bill yeah. Romanowski did. I, uh, I couldn't stand that guy. So that's what we got, unless you got any other ones for the goon list. That's it, JB. That's all, all we right. got for that one. All right. So we, we're we to that time of the week. Um, it's time for overtime. A little bit of no-nos. No-nos. Let's do it. All right. So question this week. We're going to go out of the sports realm for this one. You know, who is your favorite superhero? It's broad. It's a broad question. If you got to give more than one, you can. Oh, that's fair. Really trying to... Because anybody who knows me knows I'm not a superhero guy. Not into that style of thing. However, I will say that I've always liked it. Talk about the 90s movie. Mm. The Batman. The Batman movies. Okay. I always like the Batman. So I'll go with Batman. Okay. I think your sister will be happy with that answer anyway. <laughs> okay. 
All right. And uh, as usual, I forgot to explain the entirety of no-nos before we get into it. But um, outside of the initial question, we're going to do a uh, team and we're going to see how many players off of that team NO can name in a minute. Uh, We have we're sticking typically to football and baseball because there's only so many players on a basketball team. The record so far is 17. We're going to try to beat that this week. And then we're lastly going to do name that player and see how many um, obscure facts it takes before N.O. can uh, name the player. So first up, we've got the name the team, all right? And uh, I believe last week we did baseball, so we're going to do football this week. We're going to go 2012, let me get my clock here, 2012 Super Bowl winning New York Giants. 2012 Giants, okay. And you put them in on the clock here and go. Alrighty, 2012 New York Giants roster. Let's start off with Eli Manning. Yep. Akeem Nix, Victor mm-hmm. Cruz. Ahmad Bradshaw was on that yes, team. David Deal was a lineman. Defensively, APP, Justin Pierre, Jason Pierre Paul, Justin Tuck. See, intro role, Corey Webster. Yep. Keith Rivers was a linebacker. Wow, good one. Yep, that's 10. Set a king X. Oh, my goodness. Who's the uh, OC? OCU Manura? OCU Manura. Oh, there's a. I don't see Yumanura on here. That may have been the OC. previous one. So you Is got OC ten. I don't see him. Wasn't on that team. You know. Wait, what may, position? May, maybe they have OC. It might maybe have been. OC wasn't a starter. I'm maybe pretty sure he he's on a that starter. team. Okay. Yeah, we'll I'm pretty sure he's on that team. But when you, yeah, but when you think about how they rotated their defensive linemen, we might as well consider him a starter too. That's true. You had a uh, Linville Joseph. Linville Joseph. Maybe Michael Bowley. Uh, Prince of Mukamara. Those are some of the um, some of the linemen. Maybe Kevin Booth, Will Beatty, Martellus Bennett. I thought you might Martellus have got Bennett. Him. Yeah, I forgot I thought about you might Martellus. Have got Martellus. It's all right. Yep. That's good though. That is well done. And to be honest with you, the the thing I'm looking at doesn't show the kicker. So I'm glad you didn't. Uh, yeah. I can look up who it was, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't have that listed. All right. And, and, and not- don't ask. And don't ask how I got David Deal. That's just one of them lineman names. You know how you just randomly yep. remember. He just one of them names I always remembered. That's funny because I think he does um he does sports talk now so maybe maybe go. that's how. All right, so name the player. You ready? Let's ready do it. This one. All right. We got a a major league baseball player, height and weight six three two thirty five. This is a a former player. Okay. He was a nine time nine time All Star, eight time Silver Slugger. Uh, predominantly, well, he was an outfielder, okay? He predominantly played right field. Uh, he had a 318 career batting average, 449 homers. Named to, I already said nine All-Star games, but named to the Hall of Fame in 2018. 1,496 RBIs and 2,590 hits. Now, he's originally from the Dominican Republic. Oh, I think I know who it is. Uh, did he play for the Expos? 
He sure started with the Expos. It's Vlad. It Vlad is. Vlad Guerrero. Vladimir Vlad, Guerrero. Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. Good job. He played, for a, he played for a lot of years. Vlad did. Quietly. Mm. He did, Quietly. and he was, uh, he's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, anybody can hit the ball off of, like, bounce off the ground. I mean, he would hit everything. He would hit Absolutely. everything you threw up there at him. No doubt, no doubt. A couple little tidbits I want to touch on real quick. Okay. Lawrence Tynes was their kicker. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Lawrence Tynes. And something I left out about Dennis Rodman that kind of added to his... When you think about how he behaved on the court when he Mm was wiling out on other players, he was a showman. Oh, yeah. And when you think about about his career after football, what did he do after football, JB? Oh, straight into wrestling. Straight into wrestling. Didn't, Didn't it fit that Dennis Rodman would have a solid career in wrestling being the showman that he was on a basketball court oh, absolutely it made, per- it made perfect sense so i him, him and Hogan. like that would him and Hulk Hogan. i feel like that was important tidbit to throw on her about dennis Rodman. Uh, that's good stuff yeah man this has been a fun show as it always has. but uh, it has yeah that was awesome uh, we uh, again we appreciate i can't speak apparently but we appreciate you guys uh continued support and we definitely and, do we look forward to hearing from you guys on our email yeah. Please, please send us emails at no.jb.sportspedigree at gmail.com. I know it's that's hard, right. But that's come right. On, it's not that hard. Just send not us that difficult. Let's just do it. Just do it, man. <laughs> show us some love. We'll show you a little bit of love back. I promise. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's all we got. You guys. Have Instagram page, IG page, still coming soon. Yep. It'll be there. We'll get it done. All righty. All righty. <laughs> Take care. See you guys later. Check Bye-bye. it. Keep pushing forward when the lights dim. The flame still burns when the night ends. So it's time to get animated promptly. My passion's connotated as anger. Wrongly, since I'm as real as it gets, I won't take that. Might spew a couple of words I won't take back. I'll be the thug who seems to bring charm. Check my skin in the U.S. I'm seen as that regardless. Docile and harmless. Emblematic any.